welcome to the Entrepreneur Sushi Club. I'm your host, Lubna, and I'm joined today by an amazing guest. But before I introduce her, let me share a little bit more about the Entrepreneur Sushi Club. It's a weekly podcast where we give you insight into the personality of successful sushi-adoring entrepreneurs, showing you that business is all about having fun in and with your business. Now, back to my guest. I have the amazing... Kate Carruth. I do hope I pronounced your last name correctly. If not, you can correct me (laughs) later on. Kate is the founder of Creative Words, providing content alchemy to meet a wide range of writing, editing, and content development needs. Now, every entrepreneur needs a Kate. Before starting Creative Words, she spent 22 years working in management consulting with a number of notable firms and worked within a wide variety of sectors and services. Using her wide range of experience, she has worked with clients to understand their requirements and shape the content to make the words tell their business story in the best possible way. She's passionate about releasing the greatness in inspiring people by freeing them up to do what they do best. Think of her as your content sidekick. Now, who doesn't want a content sidekick for whatever goals you have in life and business? She is also, yeah, we've got a guest with a lot of accolades. She's also the author of her own fiction books, The Bremen Chronicles and the official biographer of Eli's most famous Kate. Welcome. There's a lot of C's in there. Isn't there? Yes. (laughs) Good afternoon. I just realized there are a lot of C's in there. Oh, yes. My favorite letter. <laughs> oh, I can me. imagine. I can imagine. I love it. I love it. So thank you for being part of the Entrepreneur Sushi Club. It's always amazing to meet another sushi-loving entrepreneur. So let's get started with one of the most important questions of our podcast. Are you ready? I'm ready. What's your favorite sushi and why? I've been thinking long and hard about this. I think this is a terribly cruel question because if anyone asks me what my favourite sushi is, I just have to say, well, sushi is my favourite sushi because <laughs> you've got them all around the frame on the screen here and I just yeah, I like that one and I like that one. And I, so choosing one is incredibly difficult. It sums me up quite well because I have so many different things that excite me and it depends on what mood I'm in as to what I'm particularly in the mood for. So today, right here and right now, I want one of those really nice hand rolls that's just full of crab and avocado, spring onion with just a touch of ginger. And that's what I'm in the mood for today. So that today is my favorite sushi, but tomorrow it might be nigiri or it might be a mako, (laughs) or I might go completely off piste and want something teppanyaki. So. Ooh. Oh, I love my Japanese food. <laughs> oh, I love that. And to be really fair, I mean, when I talk about sushi-loving entrepreneurs, what I have in mind is someone like you, because for me, it's depending on my mood. I could go for a variety of sushi. Yeah. I love the majority of them. And it depends on my mood in that moment. And if you ask me in the morning, I could say, well, I'd love a California right now. And in the afternoon, it could be, oh, what a proper hand roll good stuffed hand roll 
So yeah, yeah, I totally get that it's a very cruel question and difficult <laughs> to answer if you go, yeah, but I like this one, I like that one, and I don't want to choose, I like that one. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I think the, I, the only thing for me is that it's not allowed to come in plastic. Ooh. So supermarket sushi has been there too long. Yeah. It's got to be, I mean, there's one or two places now that, that some of the supermarkets now have got someone making sushi on the day. Okay, I'll allow it then. But normally I want my sushi from somewhere that actually makes sushi rather than someone who's bought it from a factory, if that makes sense. No, it does. I mean, I didn't like supermarket sushi and I've tried it just, just so that I could taste it because especially with the lockdowns here in the Netherlands that we've been part of, it was very difficult to get sushi and you had to mm. order it about 24 hours ahead. You have to go pick it up. And one of the best sushi restaurants here is a 20 minute drive from me. So it takes some organization to get some sushi, but if you love sushi as much as I do, you do that. But sometimes mm. it didn't fit. And I thought, well, let me try the supermarket sushi. And I thought, uh-uh, uh-uh, this is not sushi. And you can taste the difference. Oh, yeah. I thought, this is not okay. But we started here in the Netherlands having supermarkets where they make it. And they promise you it's been made within the hour. We're Very starting to see the same here as well. We're starting to see the same here. But it's going to take a while, I think, for that to become sort of mainstream. Yeah. Yeah, I get it. So um, one of the other questions that we'd like to ask is when your sushi journey started. And I believe it had something to do with New York in your case. It did. It's one of those really, really memorable moments. So this would have been about 1996. I joined a company, a very small company. They're now part of Oracle, actually. So they're now a very big company. But at that time, they were a tiny little organization. And they were mainly in the States. And they had about four or five of us in Europe. two in Belgium, one in the Netherlands, me in the UK, who all went over on their training course. And the first night we all got there, we were staying in Connecticut, and we said, let's just get on the train and go to New York. And the two Belgians were saying, they were both from Brussels, and I'm from very rural kind of UK. So we didn't have sushi at all. It wasn't even available. I'd heard of it, but it wasn't available. And one of the guys said, let's go into New York, let's have some sushi. Because we walked past the little sushi bar and he said, oh, we must have sushi. And I said, okay, I'm game. And that was my first experience, sitting on a sort of like a street cafe in yeah. New York. I have no idea what kind of a neighbourhood it was. <laughs> I felt safe enough. There were parts yeah. of it we walked through where I, not so much. But just sitting there watching yellow taxis for the first time, and just taking in New York. From, it was my first experience in New York as well eating sushi but the thing that I remember most distinctly was the green tea ice cream which I'd never come across before and was just a revelation to me that you could put things that weren't inherently sweet into ice cream so yeah that was my sushi beginnings so a relative latecomer from listening to some of your other podcasts obviously some (laughs) people you know they've been eating it since they were three and for me it was a much later thing But yeah, so it was a very, very memorable evening. What made you even try sushi if that was one of the very first times you tried it? Oh, I'll try anything. I'm an explorer. So I was open to it. It had just never been available to me. I can't imagine my family ever trying. My father would have thought, you know, 
why on earth would you eat something raw when you know a quick turn over the coals would do in the world of good? <laughs> that would same be father, same father yeah. here. <laughs> so he would have been less keen to try. I think the idea wouldn't have appealed to my dad. So that meant we wouldn't have had it in the house, even if it had been available. But it, I mean, it really just wasn't something that we'd have had any opportunity to eat. And it wasn't until probably about four years later that the town I was living in at the time had a Japanese restaurant. So that was sit down restaurant, teppanyaki, tempura, all those sorts of foods rather than the wonders of sushi. So I was just keen to try it. I'd heard a lot about it. And I'm always up for something. And there's most most things I'll try. There's one or two things where I think, no, I think I really don't like the idea of that. But most things I'll give a go. I love that you said that you're an explorer, so you're willing to try anything. That's mm. bold and brave. Yeah, though I say that now. Someone will now ping me a message and say, how about jumping off a cliff? And it's like, no, well, I won't no. try anything. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, in food terms, I'm not one of these people who will be put off simply by a name or an idea. Oh, I love that. So that's a beautiful segue into our third question of the podcast, which is if you, your personality and character were a sushi, what would the ingredients be and why? What do they represent? Oh, yes. I've been thinking about this one too. There would be lots of different ingredients. So we'd have some crab and we'd have some salmon. Uh, we wouldn't have any tuna. Um, okay. <laughs> We have lots of seaweed, okay. of lots of different types. There'd be some omelette. So there'd be this whole range of different ingredients. And it's not so much what each individual one represents, so much as it is that that sort of explains who I am, in a sense. In I'm not just a cater writer. That's what Kate does. I'm a writer. I'm a project manager. I'm a mathematician. I'm a scientist. I'm a computer programmer. I'm a, I'm a singer. I'm a knitter. I'm a crazy cat lady. I'm all of these different things. They're all who I am. And therefore, I mean, it, it, if I was sort of saying, well, I'm one of these things, that wouldn't last very long for me. I can be in a box for, you know, maybe a few weeks and then say, yeah, bored now. Now I need to go and find something a bit different to do. And go off, not completely at a tangent, because there's certain things that I'm very clear are things that I want and I want to do in my life and I want to do for the world. But how I go about it changes and changes quite frequently. <laughs> I love that you shared it, because if someone were to ask me the question, I would say it is a mix of everything because I love variety. I'm like you. I can do so many different, and depending on my mood, I can like a different things. I would like to read a book or watch a video or do absolutely nothing. And it's so much, I remember in my corporate job, people tried to put me in a box and every time they tried, I would jump out because I'm like, no, I do that too. And they would go, well, wait a minute. And that was all because I love the variety. For me, anything that I can predict is boring. If I know what's going to happen, it's boring. And it's absolutely amazing. So I love, I love that. I really love, love, love that. So is there a difference between you, your personality, and the personality and character of your business? Well, I don't think there's a difference. I think that the facets that show up in, of me that show up in business are a bit different from the facets that show up in me with friends and family and those kinds of things. Yeah. I, I mean, the years of consulting give you, I suppose, a sort of a professional polish 
to how I approach things. I launched the business what, four years ago, and I know some people were really quite taken aback in those first few clients because I would say, right, well, here are my terms of business and here's my proposal, which for your typical freelancer, sole trader, those sorts of things don't happen. And even now I have conversations with people who've been in business, you know, 10, 15, 20 years and do it all on trust. (laughs) And that's, but I always done that. We need terms of business. Someone, you know, even if I wrote them myself in those early days, um, I always made sure that there was all of those pieces in place. And that's the consulting background. So there's this sort of very formal, very professional backbone that sits under the business which I don't have in my personal life. I do not say for a, to a friend, let's go out for a meal. By the way, you need to sign this contract. And please, <laughs> please put this indemnity in place just in case something happens. So I wouldn't do that. You know, I wouldn't do those kinds of things. But the actual personality of the business, the drive to create something wonderful, the sort of the things that really matter within the values of the business are the values that really matter to me. Yeah. So yeah. so in that sense, the personality is very much the same because it's my business. I founded it. And therefore, at the moment, I'm very still very present in that business. So my values are going to be very present within the business as well. Yeah. It's more of a representation of you than it is yeah. an, a separate entity in that respect. That's it. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Cool. Well, based on your explore variety loving character... You do something that is called content alchemy. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, let me tell you that by telling you a bit of a story because I love love a story. Me too. So roll back for four and a half years ago. Actually, no, probably this time five years ago, give or take a few weeks. And I was doing a little bit of help for a friend of mine in writing content for him, I started to recognize that there was a business that I could form to be a copywriter. And that was the vision. And when I sort of set the date in September 2016 to quit my job the following April and start Mm -hmm. my business, it was, I am going to be a writer. I'm going to be a copywriter. So that's what I did. I started the business in May 2017. I'm a copywriter. I wrote my first few pieces of content. I handed them to my happy clients, said, here you go. They said, thank you very much. They put it in the in-tray. Silence. So I then thought, okay, what's happening here? And I phoned them up. How are you getting on? You know, did that blog ever get published? Oh, no, I'm too busy. I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. So I suddenly thought, okay, so what I'm doing here is I'm providing this content and they're too busy to do any of the other things that need to happen. Because often people think they're too busy to write the content and don't realize that, for example, getting your website live isn't just writing the content, it's putting it on the page, it's finding the images, it's liaising with that technical boffin who talks HTML to make it happen. And that was where Content Alchemy came from. So it's not just writing the content, it's writing it, it's setting it up, it's liaising graphic designers with web developers, with printers, whoever else it is that you're working with, um, to make it happen. And in particular, the kind of content solutions to making it happen that we love to do is helping people where they're making money from their content, online membership services, online training courses, books, those sorts of things. And that combination of a total content solution 
And the monetization of content came up with this idea of, okay, we're converting something into gold. We're spinning from straw into gold. And of course, that is the ancient definition of alchemy. And that's where the word popped into my head. So then I became a content alchemist, transforming material into content golds. The strap line and gold has become a sort of a golden thread throughout everything that we do. It's in our branding. It's in the language that we use. Whenever I create one of the training courses that I occasionally do, they've always got gold in the title, you know, all of that kind of thing. It's become a part of what we do, but also also part of our standard. So we aim to be a gold standard. We're transforming Mm -hmm. into gold, not lead or tin. We're not knocking stuff out. And therefore, it is a part of the kind of the core of the business as well. But what we're doing is transformative and it's precious metals because businesses are precious to their owners and they don't want they don't want stuff that's just knocked out they want something that's been done by somebody who's taken the time and given the attention to get to know them and really work with them yeah and for someone that is listening to us right having this conversation or maybe they're watching the video on youtube and thinking i know it's important content and i know that i should have a content strategy and create content but how do i get started Oh, right. How do you get started? So first and most important question is who is it for? And it's pretty much the first question. If someone hops on a call with me, pretty much the first question I'll ask them about is who is your client? Who is your ideal client? Who is your target for this content? It might not actually be a client. It might be that they're doing this for, you know, internal communications, or it might be that it's for keeping existing customers engaged, or maybe, you know, they want to engage a wider community. But who is that audience? And really getting to know that. And actually, if they don't know that, it might be that they're talking to the wrong person Mm. because that's where a marketing strategist or someone who can help them get actually clear on who they are and where they come from is a much more important process to go through before you start with the content. Lots of people are told, do more with your content. And if you're not clear about who then what you put out is not going to get you the result you want. It's going to take you a bunch of time that's being put together for no good reason. So know who first. And then once you know who, with them clearly in your mind, imagine what you want them to do or think or feel when they read that blog or that brochure. And it's not, I want them to feel that they should buy my stuff. That's not the right answer. It should be, do you want them to feel excited or uplifted or thrilled by the possibility or full of ideas? And when you have those sorts of thoughts in your mind, then you can start to say, okay, so if I'm a plumber and I'm looking for people who want to have their bathroom redone, and when they look at my brochure, I want them to feel really excited about what we can do in their tiny little space. Now you know what kind of brochure you're going to write. Yeah. I love those. I love those. And I think it's right. I mean, when I started my business 10 years ago, I only focused on there needs to be content out there because that is what I picked up from business coaches back in the day. You know, you need to create content. You need to create content. I just did, which is not smart because you're putting in effort that it's not going to yield any results or it's going to yield the wrong results. And you're going to waste Mm. your time with people that are not your ideal client, which is such a way to be fair. And also, I mean, 10 years ago, it was a crowded market. Now it's even more the case. Yeah. You want every piece to count. And doing one good piece will have as much impact as 10 not so good pieces. 
And this is one of the places that there's always a kind of a trick point is the balance between good and good enough. Yeah. There are plenty of people out there, I'm sure, listening to this, watching this, thinking, well, I've been working on the content for my website for the last four years and it's not perfect yet. So my website's not live. Yeah. <laughs> and I get that completely. I do get that. But, you know, so for example, when launching a website, don't wait for it all to be done. Get one page live. Yeah. And then you're out there and then you build from that. And that's kind of one of the places that I can help as well is if people get very hung up on what's perfect. And in fact, particularly with digital content, it doesn't matter if it's not absolutely bang on perfect because you can change it. Yeah. You know, I put posts out occasionally. I think, oh, my God, there's a spelling mistake in it. And it takes 10 seconds to fix it. Oh, I've done so, that too. And if you have to wait for everything to be professionally proofread, nothing's ever going to happen. Yeah, that's so, true. Um, but it is that balance point between just putting something random out that doesn't say anything or mean anything or do anything for your audience and something that's kind of that's good enough to get the right message to the right people in the right way. So what I'm hearing, Kate, is that you're saying just get started, whether it's that one page of your website or a post. Two things. One is who's your ideal client and what's the purpose of that content that you're putting out? Because that will drive how you set that content up and maybe even the medium and platform that you're going to use. Yeah, it's like a triangle. So there's a definition of content which Andrew Davis came up with. He's the chap who wrote Pride and Prejudice back in the 90s. And he'd once, he's a journalist as well, and he'd said that content is anything that adds value to an audience. So if you know who, and you kind of, you think of it as a triangle, audience on top. So who is your audience? What is the value that they will derive from this? And then the kind of the anything element of it is, well, what's the best channel? So once you know who your ideal client is, you know where they hang out. Are they a podcast listener? In which case, contact Lubna, get onto the Entrepreneur Sushi Club and talk on the, <laughs> onto the Entrepreneur Sushi Club because podcasting will be great. Are they a professional person? They might be on LinkedIn. Are they a mum? Well, what about mum's net? Are they likely to read blogs? Are they likely to watch videos? Where are you going to find them? And knowing where they hang out, that anything piece then allows you to say, okay, well, the first thing I need to work on then is a website or the first thing I need to work on is the social media or maybe I need to start a podcast. So it's that knowing of who are the audience, what adds value and where are they helps you then figure out what the content is that you need. And then once you've got that, you can brainstorm using those three. In fact, I've got a course that I do exactly this. I run a workshop that does exactly this with those three pieces. Yeah. And you can brainstorm tons of ways that you can then go out and do it. And then you pick the one and you just work on the one until the one is done. And then you say, okay, now let's go back to that checklist and add something to it. And you get good at one thing. So if podcasting is what you're going to do, Get podcasting working for you before you start thinking, well, I've done podcasting. I've got my first podcast out. Now I need to be worrying about my social media. And now I need to be over here and over there. And if you run about in different directions, that's when you get incoherence. Yeah, I get it. But I'm going to play a little bit of a devil's advocate. Right now, there are a lot of people out there that say repurpose content, focus on one pillar content and then repurpose. So you are omnipresent. What do you think about that? I think... If you are already established and comfortable and have the bandwidth to do it, yeah, why not? However, if we're talking about someone who is paralyzed by the whole idea, just do one thing. Get yeah. one thing sorted. 
be that your website, be that blogging, be that a social media feed, one social media feed at a time, by the way, be that YouTube, be that going out and doing business networking. That's content too. Having one-to-ones with people and, you know, good old, old school, now we're allowed to, face-to-face networking is yeah. content because you're adding value to the people that you go and meet. Yeah. As long as you go with that in mind rather than what can I take but what can I give, then it's content. So, yeah. so get comfortable with one at a time. But then, yes, once you start saying, well, I want to add a second stream, that's when you can say, okay, well, that's great. So you've already got a blog would that make a podcast? Would that make videos? If that's the case, then you can add it to another channel. Yeah, I love that because I see a lot of people struggling because it keeps them from taking action, basically, because they're thinking, oh, if I have to do all of that, turn a pillar content into 67 pieces, which one person says you can do, they're like, oh my God, I'll never get started. And I love what you said, just get started with one, focus on one, master that one, so that you can build up that consistency and audience and then move to something else. Or if you have the funds, you can pay a large team, which, because let's be honest, those that say repurpose usually have a very large team of people mm. doing that all for them. I mean, you know, you can get 67 pieces of content from one pillar. I sort of laugh at that. And I think, yes, I can get 67 pieces of content from one pillar. But number one, do they really think, bearing in mind you're likely to have, have one audience yeah. they're just going to see the same content on 67 pillars and it's fine to repeat you do want to repeat messages a bit because people don't necessarily take them in at the first time but do you really want them in 67 different places and they go oh look it's the same old stuff so that's the first thing and the second thing is if you're just starting out oh my god i've got to get 67 things out of this one blog how overwhelming is that <laughs> it's like now I can't do it. That's impossible. No. And you, you get to 65 and think I'm not good enough. And all of that kind of backstory starts playing if you try to do too much at once. It's called, we used to call it in consulting, trying to boil the ocean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that analogy. I really love that. So, Kate, as we're coming up on our time together today, is there something that we haven't talked about that you feel compelled to share at this moment in time? Well, I do, actually. And it's one of those things that sort of ties in with the whole sushi thing and what we were saying earlier about I will get excited about something new. I am very excited at the moment about something completely new that came up almost out of the blue about three weeks ago. So my coach, I'm in a coaching group, and my coach had said, what could you achieve in three weeks? And suddenly, from the very back of my mind, came something that has been there lurking for about two years, which is an author's academy. So lots of people talk to me about writing books. So I sort of, I went into the group and said, I'm going to launch this course in three weeks. I'm not sure I'm going to quite get to launch the course in three weeks, but the waiting list is open. So this is something that is coming imminently. In fact, I'm going on holiday next week. I'm probably going to be recording quite a lot of the initial pieces of it. But my goal is to bring out uh, what I'm calling book writing gold, which is aimed to help authors who want to write, who've got stuck at any point in that process, whether it is they know they want to write and they just haven't got started or they feel they can't because they don't know how or because somebody's told them how they should do it and that doesn't work for them. Um, yeah. Or maybe they've written some of it and got stuck or written a book and now don't know how to edit it or don't know how to publish it. 
So the aim for the course eventually, not within three weeks, I suspect, is to have all of those elements there for people. But I'm just kind of working the first module of it, which will be the first bit that I launch. I think I'm going to say the date because if I say the date, that will make it happen. Yes. 13th of September, I will get the first module out. And that's all about putting good foundations in place to be a writer. The right times, the right places, the making the space for yourself, getting sorted with the mindset side of it, which will then unblock quite a lot for a lot of people. So, yes, that's my thing that's coming at the moment that I'm kind of excited about. And it's very much a sushi thing because it was like, you know, you go into one of the sushi bars where they've got the track yeah. and you're thinking, yes, I really want some nigiri. I really want some nigiri. Oh, oh, no, let's have some of that. <laughs> it was very much one of those. <laughs> You just propelled me to a sushi restaurant here in the Netherlands that has that band. And I'm like, yeah. oh, but I want that one. Oh, but I want that one. And before you know it, you're more focused on which one you want. And that thing is just going to go around no matter how many times you're going to yeah. say it and not focusing on what you can actually eat in front of you. But you've got me excited about the Author Academy. I think that that is absolutely <laughs> amazing. I know so many people that say, I want to write a book, but I don't know where to get started. And I think yeah. that that's a very valuable resource. Thank you for sharing it with us. And we're going to hold you accountable. September 13th, Thank if you're you. listening to this, remind Kate that she promised it would be low. Kate, thank you. The landing page, the waiting list is already live. So if people do want to just find out about it, then they can at least get onto the waiting list now. So Awesome. Well, we'll make sure that we add that link in the description with this episode. Kate, thank you so, so much. very much for joining us welcome. today and for you that has listened or watched on our youtube channel to this conversation i hope you have found it valuable and as always we would love to know what has been your biggest insight or takeaway from the conversation with kate do take a moment and share this with us in our facebook group called the entrepreneur sushi club where you can hang out with other sushi loving entrepreneurs and you will find the link to this group in the description with this episode and if you know someone who can benefit from listening or watching this episode please feel free to share it with them for now have fun and see you on the next one bye